0: Listen now to God's word from the book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. Now, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all those who heard it. The young man came and wrapped up his body, then carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, That was the price. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and died. When the young men came in, they found her dead, so they carried her out. And buried her beside her husband and great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I would like to uh, meet Pastor Sherry at the pulpit and to offer a prayer with her.
1: I'll need that prayer.
0: Dear Lord, we thank you for sending your holy word, but also those who would help to interpret it to us. Please be with our dear Pastor Sherry this morning as she interprets this most difficult passage of scripture. And may you bring blessing upon us all. Dear Lord, we would love that. Thank you for your love for us and for Pastor Sherry. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Lord, thank you,
1: So last spring, I asked uh, Paul Barrett to uh, work on a summer sermon series that the clergy had decided, all of us decided, would focus on the theme of community and especially on how the early church built community in those first days of being um, together. Over the past couple weeks is when I realized that the text I had been assigned to deal with the subject of being a community empowered to trust was the story of Ananias and Sapphira. I believe that probably 90 to 95% of pastors go through their whole preaching lives successfully avoiding having to preach a sermon on this text. I think it would be a great stewardship season text, but it's not often used. It may seem a little heavy-handed. I don't know. But I actually dared to bother Paul on his vacation as he was floating in a pool somewhere. And I texted him, What were you thinking? Smiley face. <laughs> I do think I made him feel a little bit guilty because he sent me a couple good ideas uh, to use for the sermon. <laughs> Friends, if today's scripture sermon text does not scare you to death, then you have not been paying attention. Here's what happened. Um, We didn't set the context for this passage, but you see in the church, in that early church, that beginning fledgling church, a wonderful spirit of giving had broken out uh, in that early church in Jerusalem. And people were selling off their property and giving it to the church, we're told. And we were also, as a result, told that there was not one needy person among them. In fact, a man named Joseph from Cyprus had sold one of his uh, fields. And then he had brought all the money from the proceeds of that sale and laid it at the feet of the apostles. They were so impressed with Joseph that to mark the event of that amazing gift, they actually decided to change his name to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And this is the point really, of giving, isn't it? That giving is meant to change your life. We don't just give because the church has needs. We give because it pleases God, and it reflects God's gracious nature to the world. But I confess to you that, in fact, That is not how we always run our stewardship campaigns. We very often promote our stewardship campaigns on the basis of the church's needs. Give because you love this program. Give because you love this staff person. Give because you like this type of music. That, friends, is giving as the world gives from a consumer perspective. But that is not why I believe we are compelled as followers of Christ to give. We give because we need to give. We give because we trust the one who has given us the gift of life itself. And if you do enough giving on those terms, then you might as well change your name too because I'll guarantee you that it will transform your life, making you one who is a son or daughter of encouragement to many others. Well, Ananias, who is a part of this same church as the now Barnabas is called, he also got caught up in this spirit of giving, sort of. He wanted to do what Joseph of Cyprus did. But when Ananias sold his field, I suspect he took a good good hard look at all of that money that he had gathered from that sale. And then he decided to hold back a part of it and just tell the church that he was giving God everything he had made from the sale of that field. I do not think Ananias and Sapphira were evil people. In fact, I cannot even imagine that Ananias and Sapphira sat down and said to each other, here's an idea, honey, let's lie to God about the property deal. Now, they may have turned a blind eye to the reality of what they were doing. In fact, I don't even think maybe it was fully in their awareness level. It would have been too hard to deal with for them. They weren't evil, but they were tempted with a sin of pride, and they gave in to that temptation. They wanted to be seen as big givers, like Joseph. They wanted the praise, the glory, the new name they would make for themselves in that community. And as soon as that sin of pride took control of their lives, they lost their ability to live and walk in the Spirit's power. They became, as Jesus would have called them, hypocrites. He had strong words for hypocrites. Whitewashed tombs, as he accused the scribes and the Pharisees, which he said, quote, were outwardly beautiful. Beautiful but within they were full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Flannery O'Connor once wrote that our beliefs are not what we see. They are the light by which we see. They are the light by which we see. The light went out, literally, for Ananias and Sapphira. Slain, literally, by the Spirit? Overtaken by fear when God's powerful light of truth shattered the spirit of darkness that had overtaken them? I don't know. But I do know at least a couple of things. I do know that this story serves as an important reminder to the early church that it was in the Holy Spirit's power and authority that the early church was established. In fact, this is the first time that the word church is used by Luke, the author of this book of Acts, to refer to the community of the followers of Jesus. In verse 11 we read, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard these things. I also know that the same evil one who tempted Jesus in the wilderness after he had received the gift of the Holy Spirit was alive and well, tempting and trying to defeat the body of Christ, the church that was now empowered by the Holy Spirit of Jesus, given to them on Pentecost, just a few chapters uh, before we read this story. It seems to me that one of the most successful ways the most successful ways that that can happen in the life of the church that defeat is when we let our fear speak louder than our trust. Peter didn't care that Ananias did not give all the money from the land he sold. That's not what he cared about. He even says to Ananias in verse 4, you owned the property, it was already yours. If you wanted the money, you should have just kept it. No big deal. Ananias lost his life in a lie, claiming that he was totally dependent and trusting on Jesus when he was actually depending on the stash he had kept for a rainy day because he never knew when he might need it. You know, I just used those exact same words on Monday when I was with a group of clergywomen friends of mine, and I had told them whatever for whatever reason we were talking about this. But I said, you know, I've kept my nursing license current all these years. (laughs) I won't tell you how many years. It's embarrassing. Because you never know. So I just think it's my small way of helping the state budget crisis right now. But I would guess, I would guess that we are all very worried about that rainy day. And that we've all got a stash of something set aside, just in case. I would also hazard a guess, after studying today's passage, that your stash is of great interest to God. Now here I want to be very clear. God, I don't think God is asking you to give your entire savings to the church in this passage. But God is asking for your trust and that is because whatever your stash is It is not enough to save your life. That rainy day could turn, as we all know, into a monsoon of calamity. Your child could get a terrible disease. You could be badly injured or die in a car accident. Your spouse could die and leave you alone, and there are people here who have had all of these things happen in their lifetime. How will your little stash of money prevent any of that? And money, friends, is only one way to keep a stash from God. Some of us are holding back on our God-given gifts and dreams and expectations out of fear of failure or ridicule. Some of us refuse to be vulnerable in our relationships because rejection hurts too much and love demands too much. And so we spend our lives building walls instead of bridges with the people around us. Some of us bargain with God. God, you can have everything except my children. I have big dreams for them. Just don't take my home or my career or my health. Just don't change things too much here at church. This is my sanctuary from the world. What does it cost to call Jesus Lord? I would suggest that it is a lot more than the price of a field. What he wants is everything. He wants you. He wants me. And he has left us with his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who empowers us to trust that he will never leave us or forsake us no matter what happens, no matter what happens. But if we hold back even a a little part of ourselves from God, We will experience some kind of living death. You know, a definition of hell I think we've probably all heard is separation from God. Separation from God. If we hold back something from our creator, if we separate a part of our lives from God, that part of us becomes a dead man or dead woman walking, a whitewashed tomb. If we look at the teachings of Jesus, we see him over and over again urging people to choose life. Those who try to save their own lives will lose them. But those who lose their life for my sake will save it. Ananias and Sapphira lost their lives trying to save themselves. (coughs) Are you scared yet? The early church was. Twice we are told in this passage that great fear seized the whole church. Maybe they were afraid because they knew that they had all held something back. Something. And what about us? Come on, aren't we usually a lot more like Ananias and Sapphira than Barnabas? Aren't we scared to trust God so completely that we have no need to hold back anything from anyone anymore? Learning to trust in Jesus is a lifelong process. Henry Nowen, Jesuit priest and well-known scholar and author, suggested that all of life is spent learning how to dwell or to live in the house of love rather than in the house of fear. Now, and also had a fascination with the art of the trapeze, which he came to see as a metaphor for the spiritual life. That fascination began in his later years when he went to a performance of the South African trapeze troupe called the Flying Rodleys. He ended up spending a lot of time with that troupe. And at one point he even convinced them to strap him into a safety harness and let him fly from the platform. He wrote about what he had learned from his time spent with them, especially things that pertained to death and dying. He wrote, One day, I was sitting with Rodley, the leader of the troop, in his caravan, talking about flying. He said, As a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think that I am the greatest star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there for me with split-second precision and grab me out of the air as I come to him with my long jump. How does it work, I asked. The secret, Rodley said, is that the flyer does nothing. And the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron behind the catch bar. You do nothing, I said, surprised. Nothing, Rodley repeated. A flyer must fly. And a catcher must catch. And the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. When Rodley said this with so much conviction, the words of Jesus flashed through my mind. said now, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Dying, wrote Nouwen, is trusting in a catcher. To care for the dying is to say, don't be afraid. Remember that you are a beloved child of God. He will be there when you make your long jump. Don't try to grab him. He will grab you. Just stretch out your arms and hands and trust Trust, trust. Friends, I believe that these words are as important for the living to hear as they are for the dying. The only way we can be empowered to be people who trust in the Lord with all of our heart The only way we can be a community empowered to trust is to yield our lives to the catcher. I am not telling you that you have got to muster up enough courage to give God everything. I'm telling you that if you are like me, you don't have that much courage. I'm telling you that The first step is simply to admit that fact. We are called to be honest with God. Ananias and Sapphira weren't. That's why we have confession built into our worship liturgy a time when we stop all of our grasping and all of our attempts to live life our own way instead of God's way in trust. And we put our arms straight out and we say, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And our assurance of pardon is the assurance that our catcher has caught us once again, safely. That is what it means to be honest to God. It doesn't mean you are a role model of fearless trust. It means that you tell the truth about your fears. To have integrity in faith is not just to give God your trust, but also to give God your doubts and your anxieties and your fears. Being honest with God also means that you have to acknowledge just how volatile and how precious life truly is. And that it doesn't matter how much you've got or what you think you need to have. It's simply not enough to try to keep life safe and to keep safe in life. Only God, the catcher, has that role in our lives. And maybe that was why great fear seized the whole church. Maybe the great fear was more like awe, the great awe that comes from realizing that we are in God's hands and that God loves us too much to let us go, to let us live day in, day out in the house of fear. He died so that we might have life and live it abundantly as we live and walk in the house of love. May God help us to trust in the catcher as we journey together in Christ's way of love. Let us pray. Loving and forgiving God In a moment of silence, I ask that you would bring to our minds anything, any emotion in our lives that we are holding back from you or from others out of fear and then help us in your good time to release it. Oh God, it is a terrifying thought to fly through the air, not being in control of who will catch us. We ask for your spirit's blessings to be poured out on us, and upon this, your church, as we journey together in a time of big transition and some unknowns, we don't know exactly how you are leading us in this time of strategic planning. We don't know what the budget will be like for this next year, we don't know what the decision will be about the co-pastor model. We don't know exactly what the sessions open and affirming policy means for this congregation. We don't know exactly how you are leading our denomination on any number of issues. We are up in the air. But what we do know is that you have empowered us by your spirit of love to love one another and to trust that you will be faithful to catch us and to bring us to the place you have prepared for us in this life and the next. And we are grateful.